The prospect of acquiring a property management business is very exciting, but the hard part comes once the deal is done. How do you handle the baggage that comes with the book of business? How do you protect yourself with the potential leaving of of owners, of residents, and even employees. Our guest today has personal experience with all of this, and she will share with us how she handled this and came out on top. She's none other than Kathleen Richards, AKA the property management coach and the brain behind PM Made Easy. As a reminder, this podcast is brought to you by Four and Half. Since 2012, we have been helping property managers with marketing and to get owner leads through websites, SEO, content, reputation, paid ads, you name it. Visit fourandhalf.com to learn more. That's F-O-U-R-A-N-D-H-A-L-F.com. And now a quick word from today's sponsor. Now is the time to add pest coverage to your resident benefit package. CoverPest seamlessly integrates with your existing benefit package to give your tenants a world-class pest control service at a fraction of the normal price. Visit CoverPest.com today and mention this podcast to get your startup fee waived. So what a lot of our listeners may not know if they're late to the game is um, before you became the property management coach, you were actually a very successful property management company business owner, Um, but you did not start your business from scratch. You actually acquired it. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, today I want to kind of start with, you know, when you brought, when you, when you bought Pertola Property Management, it was already an established company, a decent door count. Can you tell us how the property owners and residents initially reacted to the change in management when you took over? Yes. So originally it wasn't called Portola Property Management. That came later when I took the business out on my own. But um, owners didn't know that I had acquired it. I was just introduced as the new property manager. And people said, well, what happened to John? And I said, well, he wants to kind of step back into semi-retirement, maybe do some sales and so forth. And um, so that's how we rolled it out. No one knew that I had actually bought the business. Okay. And um, in the beginning, I didn't make any changes. I kind of kept things the way they were. Um, I did, if I remember rightly, send out, I started doing my newsletter. So I sent out an email or like a newsletter. Um, I think initially it was an email introducing myself and I was excited to be part of the team and my background and experience and what I was looking to bring to the table. And I invited them um, to call me if they had any questions and that I was looking forward to getting to know them over a period of time. And then um, I started calling owners and introducing myself to some of them too, because it was a portfolio that had a lot of clients had been with the business 30 years. So many of them were kind of up in age to begin with, right? And um, they weren't necessarily on the computer internet. When I bought the business back in 2005, we didn't even have smartphones, just to put things in context, okay? had a flip phone. Okay. And um, we didn't have all the software and all the cool stuff we have today. Um, we had Yardy, which was a DOS version. That's all that was available at the time. And it was horrible. It crashed all the time. Um, so this was kind of back in the dark ages, even though it doesn't seem that long ago compared to where the industry is today. Um, 
So it was a little bit old school, but it was getting on the phone and calling people and introducing that myself to them. Um, and then pretty much kept the business the same. Um, yeah, so that's what I did at the very, very beginning. But they didn't even know that I was the new owner. That came much later. Whose idea uh, was it? Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Whose idea first. was it to not tell the people yet that you had acquired the business? Well, the interesting thing is the person that I bought the business from, he didn't even tell his employees. He was super secretive about it. He, oh. he put an ad out on Craigslist back in the day, right? And he didn't even say what company he was with or anything. He just said, you know, 30-year-old property management business owner wants to retire. So I reached out to him and three weeks later, I bought the business. And then he introduced me to his staff saying she's the new owner. And so they were like blindsided and like, oh my God, you know, they were, they were stressed about who is this person? Is everything going to be turned upside down overnight? Right. And so I tried to reassure them, you know, a little bit of my background and that John would still be around if I needed to ask questions or anything. Um, but I ended up within the first week of buying the business, ended up letting one employee go. Um, the other employee I kept, and the, the reason I let the one employee go, um, when we, I had owners calling me that first week, screaming and yelling at me and dropping F-bombs and what the hell's going on. And um, so, so I found out that part of the reason that, that owners were very upset was because the leasing agent who worked part-time was lying to the owners left, right, and center oh yeah, we had an approved applicant and then it fell through or, oh, we're processing out. None of that was happening. <laughs> so I let her go immediately. And then I turned to my assistant and basically said, okay, one of my core values <laughs> is honesty and integrity. We will never, ever lie to an owner. If I find out you are, you're dismissed on the spot. So, you know, within week one, I'm laying down the law. This is how I do business, right? Um, and it was just when angry owners would call, it was taking it head on and, and owning it, even though I didn't create the problem and saying, let me research it. Let me get back to you, which I had to research because I didn't know all the owners. I didn't know the properties. Right. So I did research and turned to the full-time assistant and, um, yeah, just kind of, you know, address things head on. And I think that's all people really want to know if they feel like you're listening to them and um, you're telling them how you're going to handle it. And then you have to follow through on it, right? <laughs> you can't say you're going to do it and then never call them back. So you have to call people back when you say you're going to. Tell them you researched it. This is how you resolved it or how you would like to resolve it. Um, but I found that worked really well for me. How, how did employees react? Well, I guess first off, how many employees were in the company when you came in? Okay, so this was structured a little bit different. This was um, a real estate office that had a property management division and there were like four property managers and each property manager had their own portfolio, okay? Right. Most of them were realtors. There was only one other person who was a true property manager. And um, so it was kind of your own business, but you were still you know, giving your commissions to the broker, right? 
Um, because it was an employee-owned real estate company, when I vetted the company to buy it, I brought in an outside CPA to make sure all the numbers matched. I made sure that the board, the owners of the real estate company approved of me buying it, that he was actually able to sell the book of business right. to me. <laughs> That's smart. Because if, <laughs> if I was a broker, I wouldn't allow my, my people to do that right? Those clients are mine. You service it, but they're mine, right? So I just wanted to make sure that everybody was on the up and up. Everybody right. knew what was happening and that I had the okay and the permission. Um, so yeah, I bought the book of business from him and he had like a real estate agent might have, he had a full-time assistant, a part-time leasing agent and a part-time bookkeeper. And then I came in and took his place. Right. Okay. And so that was kind of, and they didn't know, literally they were shocked. So for me, it was reassuring the assistant, looking at her compensation. Um, she'd gotten her real estate license, but he had never, I'm trying, I was trying to remember this. Either she'd studied for it, had passed the test, but hadn't like taken the next step to actually, you know, get everything sent to her. He hadn't reimbursed her. She hadn't got the pay increase he promised her, you know, all these different things. So I immediately did that. I reimbursed And this is the one that you kept. This was the assistant yes. that, that yeah. stayed. And yeah. I had to because he knew all the owners and the properties. You know, right. I, I didn't know them. I had checked out the portfolio. I made sure I wasn't buying junk. Right. right. I had driven by some of the, you know, I did all my due diligence, but still. So she, she got a pay increase right away. We got her licensed up. I reimbursed her for getting her license, even though that wasn't a promise I made. I felt it was an important promise to keep. I didn't want her to leave. And um, she was a good employee. And then the part-time bookkeeper I had, um, had her for a bit. And then she left and I got another part-time bookkeeper. Right. Cool. Yeah. The, and the reason I asked was just because it, you have different circumstances, right? Where it's like, if you have 10 employees, that's a different situation than if you have a couple. My, ori my original question was just going to be, so off the bat, you ended up firing somebody that wasn't meeting your expectations. H how, how did that impact the rest of the team? But if it was just the assistant and the CPA, it becomes a little bit more personal where yeah, but I think even if you if you came in and say there was 20 employees, right, I think you need to approach it with you're excited to be there. Um, you are going to take time to go around and talk to each individual employee. You want to reassure them as a group, OK, that you are going to look to them. They're the experts. They know what you know, I mean, S because their first question is, you know, what's going to happen to my position? Right. Is right. this being consolidated? You know, and it's also a different scenario if you're buying a business and you're keeping the employees in place or you're purely buying the book of business and incorporating it into what you're going to do. Kind of a different scenario there. Right. right. Um, in the latter example, you not only have to make sure that the you know, there's no lawsuits going on that, you know, everything is due diligence, but, you know, it's, you have to make sure that there's going to be a culture fit there because if how your existing business works is 180 degrees different than the, the book of business you're buying, guess what? You're probably going to lose a lot of owner clients, mm -hmm. right? It's not going to be a mesh. And 
um, you're going to have to let people go. So when my company was bought out, I was already told, well, I don't need a bookkeeper. I already have my own bookkeeper. So I had to let my bookkeeper go. And that was super painful, but I wanted to be the one to do it. I didn't want the new person that that person didn't have a relationship with. I made sure to give um, very good severances to the people that had been loyal to me. They'd been with my company for a long time. I gave them good severances. Um, I made sure that they had a good transition, um, even helped them find other employment, you know, because I wanted to make sure they were taken care of. But overall, I sold my business intact. Here's here's the employees. Here's the systems, you know, so it could kind of it could just keep running the way it was. But if you're incorporating a book of business, that's a whole different kind of kettle of fish. Um, because yeah, employees are going to be let go and you're probably, you know, that you're going to be letting certain owners go, um, because they're just not going to mesh with how you do business. Yeah. And so on that note, you have spent a lot of time as a consultant, you know, helping property Mm -hmm. management business owners run their businesses. So I'm sure you have encountered consulting a client who is about to purchase either Mm -hmm. just a book of business or a whole other company in its whole, what kinds of questions or kind of due diligence items do you recommend that they look at when they're about to buy either one? Right. So first and foremost is you want to find out, are there any lawsuits pending? (laughs) Okay. Um, Have there been any recent lawsuits? You want to review all the books. If you aren't, you know, an accountant or really savvy with numbers, it's worth paying somebody to come in and essentially kind of audit it. You don't want to bring on a business and then you find out that the bookkeeper that originally did the business, you know, gives notice and says, I'm not coming back. And now you find out they've gone off to Costa Rica with a whole bunch of money. Right. And now you're the new owner. Right. And you have to make it right. Um, or you're going back to the other person that sold it to you and you're having very heated discussions about things. Um, So yes, the accounting for sure. You want to take a look at that and make sure that that's clean and right. You want to look at the books. I mean, the the actual files, the accounts. Are these quality accounts? I worked for one property management company for a short time to try it on for size to see if I would like the field and the career. And one of the other property managers said, oh, yeah, the broker, she bought a whole book of business from so-and-so. Turns out they were all junk, like junk, like the properties were crappy. The owners were crappy. And basically, they closed out every single one of those doors Mm -hmm. um, because it didn't fit with their company. And yeah, so they kind of threw away their money. They bought because it was a friend. And they trusted because it was a friend. Um, I think a lot of deals in property management are done between property managers that know other property managers. That's kind of the comfort zone, right? People are scared to put their business up for sale out in the world because they're afraid. What if my owners find out about it? You know, I might lose some owners, right? So it tends to be kind of a closed business. Um, But just because it's a friend or a colleague, people, this is business. You need to put your El Presidente hat on your head and do your due diligence, right? So yeah, look at the the quality of the properties, look at the rent rolls, um, 
actually, I remember opening up files. So, you know, nowadays you probably look online. Are the management agreements up to date? Are the leases up to date? Or is the property management company still got, I mean, even back then I was blown away. I had some management agreements and some leases because again, owners have been with the company 30 years that were literally on one page that had the carbon paper. <laughs> and so I went through and did all new management agreements. So it went from that one flimsy page up to six pages, right? Um, so you want to look at that sort of stuff. You want to look at the leases and the paperwork. Um, it gives you insight if the, if the business is, and, and also what are the reasons the person's selling? Is it health issues? Is it a fireside sale? Um, in my situation, I think he was burnt out. He'd grown it from scratch um, over um, that period of time. Um, his method for solving a problem is writing a check. So anytime a tenant complained or an owner complained, he just got out his checkbook and wrote him a check. Um, but he was also in the midst of a divorce and had to come up with money quick to settle everything out. So did I pay a premium? No. Okay. And there was a lot of room for me to improve things. Right. So you have to take all those things into consideration. Why is it that they're looking to sell? Also, if it's a smooth running machine and it can kind of, it, you see that it's producing cash flow and the employees can run it and you don't have to be super hands on. Okay. Maybe you pay a bit more of a premium for that. Right. Versus, it's somebody that's a sole proprietor. They've been doing it forever. They're at the point where they don't want to upgrade all their software and all this technology, right? Everything's paper or whatever. Um, I coached a client who inherited probably like 150, 200 doors when dad passed away. Literally everything was done on paper, like old school ledgers. It wasn't even in Excel. <laughs> okay. So... Um, would you pay a premium for that? No, of course not. Right. So those are some things that you would want to look at for sure and consider, um, take into account, you know, if you're looking at a business and then also does the owner want to stay on? Are they willing to do a transition period? Are you going to have what they call a clawback? Meaning on day one, when you buy the business, you have a hundred doors you count it. And at the end of six months or a year, if you're down to 90 doors, well, you're not going to pay for 100 if you're down to 90, right? Or mm -hmm. 75, right? So those, those sort of things, you know, that's part of the negotiation. But I think culture fit, especially important if you're just buying the book of business um, and then understanding why they're selling and then doing your due diligence, especially with the accounting, legality things and all of that. that that's kind of the top line. Right? And like, so, don't just think about the, the properties themselves. Think about, think about this or look at the systems that they have in place. Mm -hmm. I feel like that could be overlooked really easily if you don't know what you're doing. Right. Second right. Thought, well, and, and but, yes, absolutely. You want to know what software are they using, right? Um, is it compatible with the software you're already using? Because if it's not, you're going to be bringing all that into yours and that's always mm -hmm. kind of a nightmare, no matter how much they promise, how smooth it's going to go. It never goes that smooth <laughs> and you lose data and, and so forth. Right. If the business is going to continue running, think of like you've got a, a business in one location and you're buying another one and it's going to stay there and you're going to keep the employees. Then it really doesn't matter if they're using a different software, if it's working and as long as it's not archaic, 
maybe it's one of the, you know, competitors to the one that you're using. That's okay. They know it and they're using it and it's working, right? It just gets trickier when you're literally meshing two businesses together. Yeah, thank you for that, Kathleen. And so I kind of want to go back to the the people side. Um, And Mm -hmm. so a couple of things that kept uh, coming up, you know, this idea that, you know, you kind of need to negotiate a clawback clause so that if you lose so many owners, so many doors in this period of time, you kind of protect yourself. And so it's very real, this fear of losing the doors you bought. And so what are certain things that, uh, an incoming business owner or an acquirer of a portfolio, uh, what can they do to minimize such a big loss in the doors that they mm-hmm. paid for? Um, and then the other side too is, I guess, the, you know, assuming you bought a business with its employees and they're running the show, well, you have no guarantee they're going to stay on. And so what happens once you take over the business and they all want to leave, then you're kind of left with nothing. And so um, maybe you can start with the owner side. Like how do you Mm -hmm. minimize losing the owners that you have paid for? Right. So I think the first thing to do is you reach out to those owners right away. Okay. Um, You should not be a surprise to them. Nobody likes surprises, right? So be proactive, reach out to them, whether it's an email um, that, you're on board, you, you know, it's up to you whether you want to tell them you're the owner or not, you don't have to. Um, I know when I sold my company, um, I introduced the new owner as the new vice, the new president of the company, and that I was stepping back into a, co- a coaching consulting role and that I would still, you know, I'm still here, I haven't gone away, right? So part of it is, in your negotiations, you're going to minimize losing clients if the person selling you the business is willing to stay on for a certain period of time. Okay. Sometimes that's possible. Sometimes it's not. Okay. Um, And if it's not, then, you know, that helps to reassure owners by you being proactive. Okay. I think don't make dramatic changes to the business because that scares people. But I think if you start doing things and, and one way is, you know, if you improve your communication with, with the owners, they're going to like that already. Okay. Or if you go through and you're looking and seeing ways that you could increase the revenue for the owners. So either the rents get increased or you roll out some sort of system or, you know, tenant benefit package. I know that's big nowadays, right? Where, you know, you're getting some proceeds. Maybe the owner gets a little increase too. They're not having to pay for it. Right they see an improvement with you. (laughs) They're not going to be likely to leave right away. Um, One thing I did, though, that's maybe very counterintuitive, um, I knew right away within a couple months which owners I wasn't getting along with or going to get along with, just personality-wise, like I just knew it wasn't going to work. I went straight to them And I let them know that, hey, you know, I'm the new property manager. I know you love working with John. I just want to put it out there that at some point in time, it's okay if you decide you want to take the property back and manage it yourself, or it's okay if you even want to go to another property manager. Just make sure to give me at least 30, 60 days notice so I can have a smooth closeout. I did that because I did not want somebody to be unhappy find some stupid little reason to blow up, get angry at me as a reason to fire me, Mm. right? 
So I was giving them the opportunity. Hey, I know, you know, I'm somebody different, right? And if you decide, and I had out of 110 owners, I probably had five um, that said, oh, really, I can do that? And I go, yeah, certainly. My role is to make your life easy, right? And so it was kind of funny. It was literally, they go, I might do that. You know, circumstances are changing for me down the road. I ended up managing for them for like a year before we closed everything out. And guess what? They ended up referring all kinds of business to me because how I handled it was professional and almost giving them permission that you've got options here. You're not forced to work with me. I know it's very counterintuitive. It's like back in the day, putting your price on the website was like, oh my God, you can't do that. Right. People did. Right. So I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I'm not going to say you say that to everybody, but you're going to know couple months into it, which owners are kind of difficult or which ones you're butting heads with or which ones are super high maintenance that you're thinking I might want to close them out. And that and that's okay. Um, I was still bringing on lots of business long after I sold it. I wanted to make sure that things were strong, right? And so, you know, maybe that's the role that the person that steps back is their name is known in the community. They still bring business. Whether you pay them a referral fee for that or not is up to what you negotiate. But I think there's a lot of ways that you can minimize losing owners. And it's by being proactive, really increasing your customer service that you can provide, reaching out to the owners, being available. And I'm not saying available 24 hours a day, right? Um, but they know that you're there, you're visible, okay? Um, because typically, if you look at who's selling the business, many times it's just they're kind of at the end of their career, they're burnt out, they're tired. Um, and so it could be that things are starting to kind of slack off a little bit, you know, so you're coming in fresh and excited and exuberant and your owners are going to feel that. Mm hmm. That's so interesting. And so I'm curious to know, you mentioned that within the first couple of weeks or months of you owning the new business, owning the business, you had a pretty good idea which owners were not a good match personality wise. Mm -hmm. How did you get to that? Was it meeting them face to face? Or did you call every single owner? Did you have some kind of event where you invited all the clients? No, the bad ones present themselves. You don't have to go hunting for them. <laughs> They're kind of in your face. Uh -huh. um, you know, I, I think it was just um, some were bad behavior. So part of it for me was setting the ground rules. Um, like I said, I had some owners that were very verbally abusive. We even had a few tenants that were very verbally abusive. Um, there'd kind of been a culture within the whole property management division that if people came in and screamed and yelled, you know, you then they got what they wanted. So all you're doing is reinforcing that bad behavior. Um, I'm five foot and I can tell you within the first like six months of buying the business, um, we had applicants coming in that were nasty and mean and, and people at the front desk would come running back. Kathleen, can you come help us? You know, and I come out there and basically I'm like, okay, this is the process. If you have a problem with it, then we aren't the company for you. 
And of course they get mean, they get nasty. I mean, I had somebody spit in my face once. I had somebody throw keys at me once. And I just stand there and I go, we're calling the police. You turn and get, you know, it's just people don't expect this little tiny person Mm -hmm. to be so strong and I'm not intimidated. So bring it on, right? So that's partly my personality, okay? But within a very short order, I didn't have bad players. And there were a couple owners I literally had to say, hey, we are here to help you. You hired us to help manage your property. We, you cannot abuse us. If you do that one more time, I'm closing out management with you on the spot. Okay, I think this is a good stopping point for part one of our interview. Next time in part two, we continue the conversation with Kathleen about how to handle residents, owners, and employees in the face of an acquisition. As a reminder, this podcast is brought to you by Four and Half. Since 2012, we have been helping property managers do owner marketing to get more owner leads through websites, SEO content, reputation, paid ads, you name it. Visit fourandhalf.com to learn more. That's F-O-U-R-A-N-D-H-A-L-F.com. As usual, feel free to send your comments, suggestions, or thoughts to marketing at fourandhalf.com. And if you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving us a rating or review on the listening app of your choice. Thank you and see you next time.